really excited about these scriptures today. Yeah. Section six through nine, we're like really getting into Revelation. Oliver Cowdery's being introduced. Yeah, I'm looking forward to talking specifically about some of the mechanics of the translation of the Book of Mormon. Uh, we got a good video from an expert on that. We also have a little bit about the desire of your hearts and making sure that we're asking the right questions for the right purposes and good motivation from the Lord. So welcome. Before we get into our discussion, maybe we should follow up on some of the things that we read. Let's do it. So we are studying today Doctrine and Covenants, sections six through nine. We're talking about Oliver Cowdery specifically. He's asking for revelation from the Lord, and the Lord responds to that revelation to the prophet Joseph Smith. The Lord is also going to reassure him and for some of his difficulties and doubts. Oliver then seeks the gift to translate, and we are told that revelation comes to the mind and the heart. Oliver also understands the importance of fear and how fear can be so debilitating. And because of his fear, the Lord takes away his gift, but he is also reassured in the future. The Lord also helps him to understand that faith is a necessity in order to receive revelation. Yeah. So we're going to focus on three things specifically today. Learning by the Spirit, the translation of the Book of Mormon, and how to cultivate righteous desires. So in order to help us to have an effective and wonderful conversation, we have invited Bridget Madrian to be with us today. We're so excited to have you, Bridget. Welcome, Bridget. So good to be with you, Barbara and Daniel. Thank you. So Bridget Madrian is the Dean of the Marriott School of Business. She's also the Marriott Distinguished Professor. She's also the Research Associate at the National Bureau of Economic Research. Uh, to, so to start off, maybe you can just tell us, Bridget, what jumped out at you in these chapters as you were reading through them? There was one scripture in D&C section 6, verse 20, and it says, Behold, thou art Oliver, and I have spoken unto thee because of thy desires. Therefore treasure up these words in thy heart. Be faithful and diligent in keeping the commandments of God, and I will encircle thee in the arms of my love. And so it talks about revelation, it talks about the importance of desires, it talks about some of the characteristics that we need to have mm -hmm. to get revelation, and then this beautiful part at the end, be faithful and diligent, and I will encircle thee in the arms of my love. And isn't that what we want to feel? Yeah. So maybe we can start off with the first thing you mentioned, which was uh, revelation and speaking and receiving wisdom from God. Can you give us a little historical context before we get into our discussion of spiritual learning? Uh, what was going on at this time? Yeah, so it's interesting, frankly, in the fall of 1828, so just before this section comes, Joseph Smith is desperate. Uh, Emma is really struggling. She's trying to take care of the house. She's trying to take care of the needs of the farm and a lot of things going on. Her parents are not supportive of Joseph and Emma's marriage and they're not supportive of, of Joseph at all. They kind of think this is a kind of a quack. And so they're really struggling. Joseph actually prays that he'll be able to receive someone to help him with his translation. And Oliver ends up answering this call without even knowing of Joseph Smith's desire. Mm -hmm. And so Oliver actually goes to Joseph Smith. So we get there in the spring of April of 1829. Mm -hmm. Oliver actually writes about this. He says, I wrote with my own pen the entire Book of Mormon, save a few pages, as it fell from the lips of the prophet, as he translated it by the gift and the power of God by means of the Urim and Thummim. I beheld my eyes and handled with my hands the gold plates from which it was translated. I also beheld the interpreters. So Oliver becomes a significant part. And I, I love that part too, Bridget, where you're talking about he's encircled in the arms of God's love. Mm. Oliver's going to be strong by Joseph's side for a long time, but he's also going to have a very long period of time where he leaves the church. And eventually, as he continues to work on that humility and to try to come back and follow the leaders of the church, he does come back and continues to share a very strong testimony of the Book of Mormon and the prophet Joseph. One of the kind of unifying themes throughout these sections is, is learning by the Spirit, which is to say, asking for and receiving revelation from God. And, and to start us off, we have a video from a, a viewer at home. And as we're listening to this, I'd be interested in some of your thoughts in the audience as well as you, Bridget. How would you respond to this person's question? 
Hi, my name is Mars Moreno. I'm a media arts student from Payson, Utah. And my question is, how can we get better at recognizing when the Spirit is trying to teach us? That's a really important question, and I think we get better as we get more experience doing this, mm -hmm. and we get experience when we go to the Lord and we ask questions, mm -hmm. and then we pay attention to how we feel like we're getting mm -hmm. answers. Mm -hmm. And you know, one of the themes that has come to me in how I get answers is a lot of times my answers to questions I have come through other people. And that's something that's highlighted in these sections yeah. of the Doctrine and Covenants. You know, as Barbara was saying, Joseph Smith prayed for someone to help him with his work, and Heavenly Father sent Oliver Cowdery. And that's one of the things that I noticed too as I was reading through these, these sections is we have to be open to the Lord speaking to us in different ways. Like we shouldn't try to put the Lord in a box. You can only speak to me in this way, because if we do that, I think we're going to limit our potential to receive guidance from him. There have been times in my life when I've been afraid to ask God questions because I didn't want to know the answer, because I didn't want to act on them. I mean, but it just gets back to this idea that if we want to receive revelation, we have to kind of have a willingness to act according to what the Lord tells us. So any of your thoughts, uh, what have you done to better be able to recognize the Lord's guidance in your life? So for me personally, like it talks about in section six, how the Lord talks to us personally, to our mind, how we will be able to understand. Mm -hmm. He knows the desires of our hearts. He knows us how we be able to better understand it. And so when we receive that peace to our mind, we need to remember that that is for us personally, that no one else knows what the Lord has told us to our mind. Mm -hmm. And so we need to follow that. And sometimes it can feel strong. Sometimes it can feel like a little hint of something we need to do. Mm -hmm. But it's when we act on those that we find that that was true revelation that was for us personally. Excellent. I like how both you, Emily, and you, Bridget, talked about the importance of acting and experimenting in a sense. I love the story that Elder Holland shares about him driving with his son, and they were lost. And he talks about how they prayed and asked Heavenly Father which direction they should go. And they went down one road, and then driving down that road, they actually came to a dead end. And his son asks, you know, why would we pray to the Lord and be told to, to go to a dead end? And, and as Elder Holland was thinking about that, he came to the understanding that, and he teaches that sometimes the Lord will help us to go one way so that we recognize the dead end so that we can recognize it quickly and eventually we can back up and go the right direction. It's also a way for us to be able to experiment upon the word. The Lord is not going to let you fail. You experiment and he'll show you this is the revelation and this is not the revelation. Sometimes all this is easier said than done, right? Yeah. What if there's a question we have where there's a lot at stake where we can't just, like say you're trying to figure out whether you should marry a person or something like that. You can't just say, okay, you know, this is where I think it's going. I'll say yes, and then if it doesn't work, I'll back out. Like you can, I've done it. <laughs> I, maybe, I, maybe that's why I got married at forty. But <laughs> I can honestly say I did this exact thing. I was I was dating a person from from England, mm -hmm. and I could not make up the decision if I should continue to date him. I was dating him seriously, and I just felt strongly go to England and you'll find out. Yeah. And I dated him and it was a dead end. And yeah. it was a dead end, not that the Lord said this is a dead end, but the spirit taught me it was a dead end. And did it waste yeah. six months of my life? No, yeah. it was six months of incredible learning. So when I finally found the husband I am now married to, I knew that he was the one I wanted yeah. to marry. I think that's an important thing to recognize is that sometimes it takes a lot of work mm -hmm. and uh, maybe some financial expense and in Barbara's case, and I know I can think of another, a number of examples from my own life, it takes time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it may take months, it may take years. Mm -hmm. And 
we're not always very patient, I think, especially today, when you can Google and get an answer to everything. We kind of have the same expectation of Heavenly Father. If we ask, we're going to get an immediate answer. And it's very clear in these verses that that's not the typical pattern for getting revelation in our lives. And that's one of the things we're seeing in here in, in section nine of the Doctrine and Covenants. It actually says in verse eight, but behold, I say unto you that you must study it out in your mind. Receiving revelation can be a rigorous endeavor. Yeah, and if we were to go through and kind of uh, map out what exactly it does take, uh, it would look something like this. How do we obtain wisdom based on the Doctrine and Covenants in these sections? So it says here, you know, good desires, keeping the commandments, asking, trifling not. So there's obviously a lot of things we have to do. It takes effort. It's not going to come automatically. So section eight, verse 10, it says, trifle not, do not ask for what you ought not. So the question I have is, what makes a question good or bad in God's eyes? How do we know what we shouldn't ask for? I think if the question aligns with God's will, then it's a good question. Mm -hmm. So for me, I kind of have to ask beforehand, is this question aligning with thy will? Mm -hmm. Because I desire thy will to be done, because I know that in the long run, that's what's going to be best for me. Mm -hmm. If you look at prayer in the Bible dictionary, it talks about that prayer is not just the act of asking and expressing things and things like that. It's the act of conforming our will to God. And thank you for that comment. I found that the majority of the questions in my life relate to that. It's just, how can I know what God wants for me? Like, how can I align and conform my own desires and my own will with his? But. I think one, one way to think about what would constitute a good desire is the two great commandments. So we're told we should first love the Lord, and then second, we should love our neighbors. And if that's what we should be doing in our lives, then are the questions we're bringing to Heavenly Father are those questions to which answers will bring us closer to God, or will they help us better love our neighbors? Thank you for your comments and insights. It's great looking at this really early time in church history where we're seeing the prophet and Oliver Cowdery really learning. So the next thing I want to talk about is the, the translation of the Book of Mormon and what we can learn from Joseph and Oliver's experience. Before we get into that, last time we, we left off, Joseph didn't even have the plate. So what happened between then and now? Yeah, it's a critical point. So Joseph is now back in, in Harmony, Pennsylvania. We're talking about April 1829. Joseph doesn't give us a lot of information, except he writes this. He says, it came to pass after much humility and affliction of soul, I obtained them, the plates again, when the Lord appeared unto a young man by the name of Oliver Cowdery. So mm -hmm. he's saying, he went through some turmoil. The Lord didn't just say, you know what? I'm sorry that you did that. You're good now and here are the plates. He actually gave Joseph some time to suffer. He gave Joseph some time to become more humble. He gave Joseph some time to think about what he had, what he had done. And then he, as, as God does, was merciful with Joseph Smith and he has the opportunity again to translate. Does anybody want to see how heavy the plates are? Oh yeah, let's do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so imagine Joseph Smith running through the woods with these. How tall are you? Six foot. So a little bit shorter than Joseph, but you're pretty good. But I could run fast. Oh, you make it look so easy. Yeah, try running. Okay? Yeah. Erica, see if you can make it look easy. Okay, ready? Lift him over your head. Go, 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 go. Yeah, Kai couldn't do that. <laughs> All right. Now, lately, the church has been making a lot of efforts, I think, to help us to better understand the translation process with the gospel topic essays. Several BYU scholars have published books about the translation process. And, I mean, just as helpful background, there are, there are essentially four sources of evidence we have for reconstructing what happened when the plates were translated. There are statements from Joseph Smith, statements from those who witnessed the translation process, 
There is the original manuscript, which is, uh, it was copied word for word by Joseph's dictation. And then there's the printer's manuscript, which was copied from the original manuscript and was given to the printer. So these are the sources of evidence we have available for us to understand what happened when Joseph was translating. So I reached out to one of my colleagues at, at Brigham Young University. I asked him, what can you tell us about the translation process? And this is what he said. Thank you, Daniel and Barbara, for the question. I'm going to try to explain really briefly what we know about the mechanics of translation from the scribes and other witnesses of it. Uh, Joseph Smith, of course, re received the plates, but he had to have the ability to, to translate them. And the Lord provided for him a special instrument, often referred to as the Urim and Thummim, these two stones bound together. These are all replicas, of course, and so we don't know exactly how they look, but judging on, on what uh, witnesses said, there were two stones bound together. Joseph called them spectacles by the way that they looked. The way that scribes described that he was able to translate was that he would place them in a hat that he had in order to make it dark around the stones. Most of our witnesses and scribes describe the plates being covered up uh, with a cloth and, and then Joseph taking the seer stones or the Urim and Thummim, the, uh, these interpreters, and placing them in the hat. Now the reason why he's placing them in there is the description is, is that in this darkness that the, the stones would shine or that illumination would come to him and Joseph would look into the hat to see what was being uh, written on those stones or what he was perceiving on those stones and that, that he would report that to Oliver Cowdery or to Emma or to his other scribes. This uh, was not the only uh, means that he used. We also know that he used another device called Gazalim in uh, Alma 37, a separate stone that he also used in the translation. Martin Harris said that he used this separate stone because it was, it was easier to use. Um, at any rate, Joseph used these stones prepared by God in order to receive this revelation, the translation of the gold plates that became the Book of Mormon. Joseph explains that through the medium of the Urim and Thummim, he translated the Book of Mormon by the gift and power of God. So whether he was using these two stones, or whether he was using a single stone, or whether he was doing it exactly the way that we might have ever thought of it before, the important aspect of the translation is, it is a miracle from God. This is by the power of God. Great video by, by Garrett Dirkmott. We appreciate that. I, I especially appreciate his his ending there where we recognize that this is, this is a miracle from God. However he did it, it's a miracle from God. So admittedly, that's probably not the way that most of us receive revelation. Uh, so I'm wondering what kind of lessons or what comes to your mind about the process of revelation based on what we know about the translation of the Book of Mormon? Something that we can learn about revelation here is that it takes effort, it takes patience, and we need to do our homework. Um, it might not be easy, it might take time, and I think that when we align our thoughts and our will, we will receive it in his own time and in his own way. Yeah, excellent. And I love this idea of, it's not just effort, but this idea of aligning our will and disposition with God's. I mean, we, we learned from, from Joseph Smith's history that it wasn't just a mechanical process. It wasn't that these were like looking at a computer screen and words were popping up or something like that. Like there's this story about uh, Joseph got in a fight with Emma and he wasn't able to translate until he made peace with her and made peace with the Lord. This idea that he had to be clean on the inside in order for the, the revelation to flow, right? Yeah, in fact, Oliver Cowdery in section nine is trying to also translate and he's not able to and the Lord gives a reason in verse 11. 
Behold, it was expedient when you commenced, but you feared. And the time has passed and it is not expedient now. I mean, there are some things as we go along, we're trying to receive revelation, especially in this case with Oliver, that there are some qualities and characteristics in ourselves that may actually cause revelation to not be coming. I also love in verse 12 where he just says, do you not behold that I have given unto my servant Joseph sufficient strength whereby it is made up and neither of you have I condemned. So he's not condemned for his fearing, but he is learning. He's in this process of learning and that's what Joseph is doing here. And this, this process is going to continue for Joseph as he continues to translate. So I also think it's important to realize that Joseph Smith was given tools and able to get that revelation and that we also have tools, that sometimes it's not enough just to pray and pray and pray and pray. That is one of the tools. But for me, there was a moment in my life where I had just had my first child, Desi, sitting next to me, and my maternity leave was coming to an end. And I was really wrestling with whether or not, okay, am I going back to work? Am I staying home? If I stay home, it means moving out of the state of California because we can't afford to live here anymore. So it was a very big question for us. And as my husband and I kept praying, you know, we also were in the scriptures where we read a scripture where the Lord had kind of reprimanded Joseph Smith over the Martin Harris issue and said like, I've kind of answered this already. <laughs> so are you gonna follow through or are you gonna keep asking me what you already know the answer to? And it was so clear to me like, I've had the answer all along. I'm not going back to work. We're going to move out of state. We're gonna make these big decisions because that's what's right for our family, for me to stay home with my baby. But I wouldn't have gotten that revelation if I hadn't have been using the tool of the scriptures. Yeah, and this isn't a direct quote, but Elder President Oaks talks about how the scriptures are a conduit to receiving revelation. Sometimes we teach that the, that the answers are all in the scriptures. It doesn't mean that the answers are all in the black and white on the scriptures. It means that the answers are found in the process of using the scriptures. Same with attending the temple, same with other tools that the Lord has given to us, right? Great comment, thank you. Yeah, I've had lots of experiences like that. I had one that happened about a year and a half ago and I went to the temple and Heavenly Father said, read this section. And it was a section of scripture that had never struck me before, ever. <laughs> And I read through it and every single verse answered a specific question that I had. It's beautiful, it's thank you. Thank you. So this has been an excellent uh, discussion about receiving revelation and translating the Book of Mormon. So thank you for that. So let's go on to our next topic, that of cultivating righteous desires. So I went through and we can ask, uh, what do these sections essentially tell us about desires in the Doctrine and Covenants? He says, the Lord blesses us according to our desires, that good desires are necessary for serving God. Some desires are better than others and that the Lord knows our desires. So desires are obviously really important. So what was it about Joseph Smith's and Oliver Cowdery's desires that made them such good disciples? They really listened to the first greatest uh, commandment, love God. They put him first. Mm -hmm. They put him before their own desires. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what makes the difference, right? When we make this effort or put in our desires aligned to what he wants, right? So that way we are helping him be first. And just kind of thinking over some of the trials and afflictions that both Oliver and, and Joseph experienced, I mean, just based on those, 
they weren't in this work for their own benefit, right? Like nobody would go through all of those things if, if, they, if their own well-being were in mind, I would think. I do think though that they're learning. It's amazing to see as you see Joseph Smith going through the Doctrine and Covenants, especially how his desire is educated by the Lord. Mm-hmm. And the Lord is actually helping him to have these more righteous desires. I mean, at the beginning he couldn't get the plates because that's 50 pounds of gold as you were talking about. I mean, and, and he thought he's a poor person. How could this monetarily benefit my family? Well, he's continuing on with his desires and the Lord is gonna to continue to educate his desires until his, his desire is like that of Jesus Christ where he is, like you're saying, mm-hmm. completely focused outward. In fact, I think there's a quote by Elder Maxwell that I'd like to share. He says, desire denotes a real longing or craving. Hence, righteous desires are much more than passive preferences or fleeting feelings. Of course, our genes, circumstances, and environments matter very much and they shape us significantly. Yet there remains an inner zone in which we are sovereign unless we abdicate. In this zone lies the essence of our individuality and our personal accountability. So this desire, some people will say like, no, my desires aren't in line with the Lord's. Well, you can pray, we can pray and say to the Lord, you know, Heavenly Father, will you please educate my desires? Will you please help me to desire those things that are correct and those things that are right? And the Lord as the master tutor will help. And he does that through Joseph throughout this whole process. Yeah, and you see that in third Nephi when the people didn't stop praying. So they didn't see to play and the Lord uh, filled them with desire. He, he gave them the things that they should want as it were. Yeah, that's absolutely beautiful. I've had a lot of experiences like that as a parent. Several years ago, our oldest daughter was facing some really debilitating challenges. And my husband and I spent a lot of time praying to find out how we could help her. Mm-hmm. And, you know, slowly over time, the answer came. And we ended up making a decision that I would have never predicted that we would have made. The only explanation I can give for that is that Heavenly Father was shaping our desires. The experience our daughter needed to go through was exactly the right thing mm-hmm. that she needed but it was not something that we would have ever chosen on our own. Yeah, and that's so important, just being open to God shaping you in that way, recognizing that even though we can't do this by ourselves, but through the atonement that God can shape us on that deeply internal, intimate level. One thing I've learned as I've tried to understand what God's will is for me is that when we allow Heavenly Father to shape our desires, we feel at peace with yeah. what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you're feeling uncomfortable or unsettled, mm-hmm. you probably have some work to do yeah. in figuring out what it is that God wants you to do. If you're doing God's will, mm-hmm. you'll feel peace and comfort in what yeah. you're doing. And it's in that experience that I've learned that he knows what is best for me better than I do. And like trying to make myself malleable in his hands, that is what has given me most fulfillment fulfillment I couldn't reach by fulfilling my own kind of personal desires. There's a, there's a great talk by President Kimball that, that has influenced me as I've tried to understand my will versus the Lord's will or my desires and are they in line with the Lord's? It's called tragedy or destiny. And in there, he talks about, you know, if, if he was going by his desires, what would have happened? And he says, I fear that had I been in Carthage jail on June 27th, 1844, I might've deflected the bullets that pierced the body of the prophet and the patriarch. I might have saved them from suffering and agony, but lost to them the martyr's death and reward. I am glad I did not have to make that decision. With such uncontrolled power, I surely would have felt to protect Christ from the agony in Gethsemane, the insults, the thorny crown, the indignities in the court, the physical injuries. I would have administered to his wounds and healed them, giving him cooling water instead of vinegar. I might have saved him from suffering and death and lost to the world his atoning sacrifice." 
I just think how important it is in that process of us coming to know the Lord and making sure our will and our desires are in line with his, we can feel when it's not quite right. And that's part of understanding and learning by the spirit is understanding and experimenting upon our, our own desires. Yeah. We can know for ourselves. Yeah, and just in conclusion, I would, I would invite you and, and you at home just to, to be open and to prayerfully seek what God wants you to want. Be open to being malleable in his hands. And then I think one last thing I learned here, you know, at the beginning of section nine, we learn about Oliver having this privilege of translation taken away from him because he was afraid, or maybe there were other factors at play. And I think there are a lot of times in our lives where we want something and Heavenly Father may even want the same thing for us. So our, our wills are aligned, but we're not ready for it yet. And we need to go through a process of learning and growth before those blessings and those promises can be fulfilled. And that doesn't mean necessarily that we're a bad person. It just means that we have some growing to do. Thank you, Bridget. Thank you for your insights and especially your experiences that you've been able to share. We'd also like to thank you, our wonderful audience here. Thank you for your testimonies and your interest and your continued study of the Doctrine and Covenants. And for those of you at home, thank you for your comments and questions and insights that you sent to us via social media. We'd love to have you in the studio sometime, but if you can't join us, we hope you'll tune in next week on Come Follow Up. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.